Hi, and welcome to the Inner Network Podcast, where I chat with inspiring women about their career and advice to the next generation of founders, CEOs, and thought leaders. I'm your host, Kyla Kablin, and today I'm joined by Rhea Colbill, a former gymnast and Stanford alum turned professional athlete. Rhea is a Spartan Ultra World Champion, professional OCR athlete, and most recently, she competed in the Amazon Prime original series, The Eco Challenge. In today's episode, we talk about her journey to becoming a professional athlete, her experience on The Eco Challenge, and advice she has for someone wanting to compete at elite levels. I'll be leaving all of her links in the show notes, but in the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hi, Rhea. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited to have you on. Before, you know, we kind of dive into, um, you know, adventure racing and the Eco Challenge, can you give us a little bit of background on how you got started um, in just racing overall? Because, you know, you've been part of the different types of races and they, of course, bring on different things. So how did you get started in that? Yeah, um, I grew up in sports. I was a gymnast growing up. Um, which I guess is very different from what I do now, but it kind of gave me like the love of sports. And from when I was very little, my mom was like putting me on skis and bikes and rollerblades and everything. So kind of developed love of moving um, from very young age. Um, And also from gymnastics, like all the competition and everything, I kind of always was competitive and wanted to compete and compare myself um, in sports to others. And then after my gymnastics career ended, I like had a brief break in being active and gained a lot of weight and just sort of became pretty unhealthy. So I kind of started trail running just to get back on like healthy track basically, but I never really considered competing until I started signing up for races just for fun and then realized I was good at it. And then Spartan racing kind of came along kind of randomly just from one race that I happened to do by an accident. And then I found out I was really good at it. And then the more I did obstacle course races, the more I realized that what I really like is challenge of doing something I'm not good at and then trying to get better at it. And so Moving to Colorado when I became a pro um, full-time athlete kind of exposed me to other sports that I um, really didn't do um, when I was just running when I was living in California. So I started skiing and I started biking and um, then all of that kind of together led me into adventure racing, which I got invited to be on the team for the Eco Challenge. And then as part of training for that, because I had to learn a lot of skills I didn't have. I actually learned that I really like all these other sports. And so I feel like that kind of got me into racing, basically, <laughs> a lot of different things. Um, and especially this year, when I feel like racing was very limited, um, I had like the skills and equipment to, you know, do a bike race here and there and do like a trail run. And I just I like variety and I like challenge. And I feel like that's basically how I choose um, the races that I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a whirlwind of a journey that you've had. (laughs) What sparked your passion for when it came to adventure racing? Because you had said that, you know, you really like the challenge, but what about adventure racing do you really love and how does it excite you? I think I like races where you have to troubleshoot a lot. So Eco Challenge was actually my first real adventure race. 
Um, so I didn't quite start small. <laughs> I started probably with the, you know, one of the hardest races out there. Um, but I've done 24 hour obstacle course races before where there was a lot of things that went wrong and you just kind of have to figure out how to fix them and you have time for it because the race is so long. And that to me was really exciting. Um, I like that a lot better than like, you know, like a 10 K, which is really fast and like, it hurts just as much, but it's like over so soon that if you make like one mistake or if it's not your day, it's just nothing like you have no chance. And so I feel like for adventure racing and for like these really long races, you don't really have to, like nobody has a perfect day. And I think that's what's exciting is just like, it comes down to grit and it comes down to how good you are at adapting. Um, and kind of like your whole life of training is what matters for those races because it's so long that it doesn't really matter what you did like the week before um, when it comes to how good you're going to do. Yeah. And I feel like with, like you mentioned, 24 hour racing and just adventure racing in general, I think it's almost anyone's game. I feel like adventure racing and 24 hour challenges are a big mental game. So what was the biggest mental challenge that you've had to overcome, you know, getting into just racing in general? I feel like to me that always happens like shortly before the finish. Um, so like maybe in 24 hour races, like when there's like two, three hours to go and you already know that you're almost done because that's when like things really start hurting because you kind of let your brain tell you everything that's hurting before you're just kind of blocking it out. Um, and then for adventure racing, actually, usually like the hardest time was about two hours into each activity because each one lasted about eight hours. So like two hours in, it's long enough already that you start feeling fatigued, but there's still like so much to go. Um, and so for those in those moments, for me, it's like I hate giving up more than I hate hurting in the moment. And so I always just tell myself that whatever pain I'm in at the moment is not as bad as if I gave into that and decided that I'm not going on anymore. And so that's really, that's kind of what I keep repeating myself when it, when I'm like at a dark place or very low moment in the race. Yeah, I think that's really important also because when you're watching specifically the Eco Challenge, I think viewers don't really know how long, like you mentioned, some activities are eight hours <laughs> and beyond. And I feel like they cut it down to where it's like, oh, well, it's only, you know, maybe an hour or two, but in reality, it is very long. So you mentioned that the Eco Challenge was your first adventure race. So, you know, to kind of come in with a bang and being involved in that, how did you prepare for the Eco Challenge mentally and physically? I think mentally, it was really just the, all the other heart races that I've done before. Um, so like all the 24-hour races that were very tough and sometimes like really unpleasant and you just have to keep going. And then a lot of the things I do for training somehow usually end up being unpleasant. And there's usually a point where I'm like, why am I out here doing this? So I feel like just doing a lot of little things like that really helped me prepare mentally. And then I think just childhood of gymnastics, I feel like that gave me a lot of mental toughness that I can now draw upon um, later in life. Um, physically, I didn't really know how to best prepare just because it was something I've never done before. Um, I didn't really prepare for sleep deprivation at all, um, just because the toll it would take to like 
get myself like sleep deprived three to five days, how much it would take me to recover. It didn't seem worth the sacrifice that much training. So I was just crossing my fingers or hoping that will work out. Um, and then physically, just in terms of training, I just did a lot of high volume that year. Um, I was on my feet a lot. I ran a lot of miles. I biked a lot. Um, I did a lot of like six to eight hour days. Um, so just a lot of everything and um, hoping that like the combined volume, cumulative volume by the time the race arrives would be enough to survive. I probably should have done more paddling. That's one thing. <laughs> I don't think I, I did quite as good on as I should have. Yeah, I actually didn't expect that. There was a lot of paddle boarding in there and um, in the kayak as well. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of watercraft. I think we pad- paddled everything you could paddle. <laughs> did they let you guys know at all? Like what types of skills that you would need like you know be prepared for water activities be prepared for you know climbing and stuff like that I mean of course you prepare for those things but did you know that those things were coming we knew what sports we're gonna do but we had no idea how much of what yeah um so that was a just the sheer amount of time in boats was um a big surprise to me like I didn't think we were gonna be um, on the water for so long. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, when you were younger, you were um, training with gymnastics and that in itself requires a ton of discipline. So how has your discipline grown over the years and especially getting into racing and how has that translated into other areas of your life? I feel like the main thing is just the love of training. Um, I don't think like I in a way it's discipline in another way I feel like I just like training so much that I would much rather be out training than doing something else I think gymnastics like really taught me that like if you fail once you just kind of get up and go at it again which really helps especially like when you're learning things that require skills like mountain biking I feel like at the start there was just a lot of crashing and and kind of used to crashing so I just kept getting up and going again But I think it was just like the sheer amount of work that went into gymnastics that I'm kind of used to just training all day now. So now that I have time and desire, like it's not something that I'm not used to. Yeah, I think that helps a lot that, you know, you were able to grow in terms of your discipline at such a young age. So you mentioned that, you know, in order to just really overcome that mental challenges, you have to you know, obviously prepare mentally, but you did a lot of the right steps to be able to prepare yourself and your body. But when it comes to maintaining your confidence within the race, so like you mentioned, two hours in, you may be really fatigued. How do you maintain your confidence throughout races that last multiple days? Do you tend to lean on your team when it comes to support and when it comes to like building up that confidence? Yeah, it was definitely a lot of team for that race. Um, I feel like in the races that long, there's at some point, there's always somebody who's feeling low and somebody who's feeling really good. And so it always just happens that people who feel good kind of take on some of the struggle that people who are struggling in the moment are experiencing. So either like physically, like taking someone else's backpack, taking their gear, giving them your snack, um, or like mentally just like being with them and like towing and pushing and just things like that come matter a lot. And then another thing to me was just also, I was just so excited about the whole course. And, you know, it's like one of those things, if you don't make it to the finish line, you don't see everything there is to see. So that was a very big motivation. So even if like at the moment, I really hated sitting on like a raft made out of bamboo, moving at very slow speeds for hours, I knew that 
if we just get through that, there'll be something exciting that we're going to do next. And so I really wanted to see the whole course, which was probably the biggest motivation to like not give up when things got really hard. Yeah. And I mean, I can only imagine how beautiful Fiji is and all of the you know, scenes that you had, like you mentioned, if you're paddling, well, then you're also staring at a really beautiful mountain. So exactly, there's, yeah. <laughs> so there's some pros and cons to it. But something that I noticed when it came to the race was that, of course, each team had to have a team captain. But I also noticed that a lot of teams fell apart during the race. So what would you say is the difference between, you know, a clear team captain, but then having a clear leader? I think for us, like one big thing was we didn't really fight um, and we were all very positive. So Ryan and I having very limited experience, we kind of brought in like athletic ability and like grit and like just like a second opinion. But because we had limited experience, we just kind of listened to whatever Scott and Bob said. Um, And so Bob also has like a ton of experience and really good navigation. So a lot of the times there was just like not a lot of questioning. Um, We each kind of had our own predefined role and um, very little ego on the the team. So it was very easy to just focus on racing and not let anything else um, really distract us from that. And given that we didn't really know each other before we started racing, before Eco Challenge, I think our team just happened to be really, really lucky that our personalities were very compatible. And so I feel like the whole time, like we were cracking jokes or singing or like doing something else that just kept the spirits up, even when things like weren't going 100% great. Um, we never really fought. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you guys didn't know each other prior to the race. So I was actually really interested in knowing about that because it seemed like you guys have known each other for years. So how did that work when it came to choosing the teams and how did you guys know of each other, I guess, to be able to yeah, your team? So I think like we didn't know everybody very well, but we all like knew at least somebody really well. Um, so Bob, team captain, knew Scott, who was the paddler, paddling expert, And then Ryan used to work with Bob when he was younger and they were really good friends. And then Ryan knew me. And so he knew like of my athletic abilities and just how much I love things that are difficult. And so I guess kind of in that way, we just kind of came together. Each person kind of invited somebody. Um, And then we, we did one training camp together where we realized that we would probably work really well as a team, but there's no way to know how it's going to play out when everybody is super sleep deprived and, you know, hungry and tired. I feel like personalities um, can change a lot in those sort of environments. So yeah, I think it was just like a very big gamble that played out pretty well. Yeah. And it seemed like you guys were, you know, working really well together. I mean, of course there must've been hard times, but all in all, it seemed like, like you mentioned, your personalities did match up really well. Yeah. It was, it was an incredible experience. So when it came to the race itself, I mean, when I personally watched it, I, there were a lot of moments where I was like, oh my goodness, how could they be doing this and not getting hypothermia? And of course (laughs) there was one person that did get hypothermia. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But what would you say was the biggest extreme struggle moment during the race? And, you know, what was, I guess, the pit and the peak of the race for you? I think it was probably like definitely that really, really cold swim section. Um, For me, it was actually both the track to the waterfall and then the swim after the waterfall because the track 
to the waterfall, it was basically like a rock hopping through White River and the rocks were slippery. And a lot of the times we thought we were lost because we're like, if we fall here, like you could get swept by the white water. And it seemed like really dangerous and not something they would put 66 teams on, but it ended up being the right way. Um, which was really cool about the course because it did really, really test your, you know, physical and mental limits. And then the swim was just so cold. Like we were lucky that we were there during the day. Um, teams that were there at night also got rained on, but it was at around like 4,000 feet up high in like Fijian mountains. And there was just like no respite. Like you just had to keep swimming and you couldn't really get out because it, the jungle was too thick. There was like no trail really that you could take. And you just had to like keep climbing in and out of those ponds that were just so cold. And I remember at the start, like we haven't even swam 100 yards yet when I was just like, I think I'm going to drown. I'm so cold. And you know, you still have, you know, five kilometers to go so that was definitely the hardest part like at the end I don't think any of us still like spoke in coherent sentences because we were all on the border of hypothermia and then it was also really really hard at the end um, because we got lost on the second to last leg for about five hours and we intended on sleeping but then getting lost kind of took that away from us and so we had an option of giving away a potential to podium and sleeping or just trying to push through. And so, of course, we like chose pushing through without really much of a discussion because we all really wanted to place well. But at the end, like we were going on like 60 hours of no sleep and we had to paddle across the ocean and the waves were really hard, high and like there was really no way like when we were all falling asleep to stop because then the currents would just like sweep you off course. Like if you were on land, you could just lay down and take like a quick 10 minute nap, but that wasn't really an option on the ocean. And so that was, that was really, really hard. And then the highs, there was just so many, of course, reaching the finish line. And then like a lot, like every time we passed through the village and they would like the kids would come running out of um, schools, like give us high fives and just the way people were cheering for us. Um, all of the interactions with locals were it just like they recharge you with so much energy. Um, and then like climbing up the waterfall where you like see the jungle that you track through and we were there right at the sunrise. So we were tracking through the night and then it, like the whole thing just like opens up and there was a lot of just like natural beauty and really interactions with the locals that were a lot of high points throughout the race. Yeah. I picked up on that too. When I was watching, I I was saying to my partner, because we were watching it together, like how amazing it must have felt to get, you know, the cheers and the hugs and the, and I know some of them too gave like home cooked meals and just like hot um, coffee and hot tea and stuff. So I can only imagine like how great that must have felt. Yeah. Especially when there was that time, like I think it was day two or so when they had to stop the race because of the weather because right. um, there was a flash flood we were past that canyon already on the river and they pulled us off and whenever we packed for a leg we really packed just enough food to get us through the leg plus like maybe a couple of hours but not like plus eight hours and none of us really have any spare clothes or anything so we were soaked and in the middle of the night 
And then the villagers took us in for the night. So they like gave us room on their porch and like they put down blankets for us to sleep on. They gave us dry clothes so we didn't have to sleep in our wet clothes. And they gave us food and their kids like filled our water bottles. So it was just such a heartwarming experience to like be able to just like put the race on pause for a little and really just enjoy the local interaction and just how hospitable they were. Um, it was mind blowing. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, Fiji in itself is so beautiful. So it was really great that you guys were able to get that experience. When it came to a certain point of the leg where you had to climb up the mountain, and I know a lot of teams as well hired people, hired locals to carry their packs. Was that, I was so shocked that that was allowed. Was that something that you guys had to ask production about if you could? you know, hire people to carry your stuff? Um, so it was generally not allowed um, unless they specifically said it is. So that was the only leg where it specifically said in the instructions that we're allowed to do that. Um, and the, at the start, we actually weren't sure if we wanted to do it because we were like, well, we don't know if they can like go as fast as we want to go. But then just the fact that for a little while, we wouldn't have to carry packs, um, it was worth even if we had to slow down a little. But then what ended up happening was, it's so incredible. Every village we came into, we could hire four people that just like smoked this up a mountain. At some point, all of my stuff were carried by a 15-year-old girl that was barefoot probably twice as fast as me through the jungle. So they would just go ahead and like then wait for us and like laugh and chat while we're like catching our breath and like trying to keep up and failing miserably at it. But yeah, it was something that you weren't really allowed to do unless it was specifically said you were. Yeah. Um, and I think it ended like a really good cultural experience to the whole race, um, the fact that we were allowed to do it. Yeah, for sure. And you were able to spend time with, like you mentioned, the people that were helping you out. And I did notice that too in one of the scenes that they were barefoot. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is crazy that they are barefoot, but this is probably their everyday thing yeah. going up the mountain. Like they're so used to it. Yeah, they were so fast and so agile and it was like hard footing and they just they just floated over the trails that's awesome so something that i was actually really interested about was the female representation within the show and i think just within you know racing in general so i noticed that there was only one all-female team and you know, there might have been more, I don't know, but that's all I saw when it came to who was featured. Have you noticed any differences with all female teams versus mixed gender teams when it comes to racing? It's really hard to say just because so many teams were like three guys, one girl. One thing I noticed just about our team, like when we started, I was slower. I was the slowest on the team. So like on the bike rides, I was usually the one that was being towed. Um... I like always just carried my things and like the rest of like the mandatory gear was just distributed among the guys um, just because they were stronger. Um, but then the longer the race went, the better, the more like equal the team became. And towards the end, I was just as fast, if not faster at some of the legs than um, my male teammates. And so I think it's just that we have different strengths. And I think at the start of the race, three male, one female teams are going to be faster when everybody's fresh. But then when people start getting tired, um, that line gets blurred. Um, so yeah, I think I think the way it should be, uh, the way I think would be like most fair would be that the co-ed teams would have to be two 
women to men. But I think like the argument against that is that it's like harder to find as many girls as there is guys like interested in doing these things, which I don't think is true. I think it's just that the sport isn't well known and there just aren't that many people doing it. And I feel like if we just did a better job of introducing the sport to a wider audience, it it would be easier to make co-ed teams gender equal like to guys and to girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. How have you seen um, the change in female representation in the OCR and like adventure racing as a sport? How have you seen female representation change over the course of, you know, the years that you've been doing it? I actually think OCR, like when I started, the female fields are just as strong and just as competitive. Sometimes I feel like even more competitive than guys, like the waves are always sold out for men and women, you know, like the times for the winners are comparable. Um, Usually the first lady finishes in the top 10 overall. Um, So I think for the OCR, like it's very gender equal for adventure racing. Granted, I'm like not, I haven't had that much exposure in the sport, but I feel like in the past, it's been a lot more masculine sport. And I feel like that Eco Challenge really tried to change that. I really like how they represented women as strong and as, you know, like crucial elements of the team, um, which is, I think, the way it should be. So I really like the way they um, put focus on that. And But I, I think it's still predominantly guys in those races as a woman it's a lot easier for me to find a team because usually female teammates are always people always look for them whereas I think for guys like there's just more people in the sport yeah when it comes to the next generation of female athletes what do you want them to know because I really like the saying of like a girl and I think that at the beginning, it was kind of portrayed as a negative thing of, you know, you're doing this yeah. like a girl, but I feel like it's so empowering because it's like, yeah, I am doing this like a girl in a very empowering way. So what does that term mean to you? And what do you want the next generation of female athletes to know? I think that being equal doesn't mean being identical. And just because some like guys are going to outrun you in like a hundred yard sprint, um, because your times aren't going to be identical, but that doesn't mean you're as not as strong as the guys are. And I feel like given the challenge, it doesn't really matter what gender you are. You can overcome it if you train for it. And I feel like for the longer, for the longer races to really not be worried about the first couple of days, because I feel like our strengths kind of come in the longer the races go. And so I feel like showing up and like, you know, believing in yourself and not giving up if like the very first 10 minutes you can't keep up because usually the strengths come later in races or, you know, like later during like a multi-day event. And yeah, just not to not be afraid to show up and try it because that's usually the first barrier. And if you get over that, then you realize that you're just a strong as the guys are. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's really great advice. I mean, especially coming from you, I think, you know, just with your background and all the things that you've been able to accomplish, I think that, you know, means a lot and it says a lot. So I want to end things off with advice for people that want to get started with racing and, you know, how to properly train and how to mentally train yourself. I know you talked about it a little bit, but I want to know specifically your advice for people that are wanting to get into racing. I think the best thing is just to do a race. I feel like 
when you do something new, it's really hard to feel prepared um, just because it's usually very hard to know what prepared means in something you've never done before. And so for everything that I've done, I signed up for a race pretty early on and that kind of told me my weaknesses. And so then I used that to figure out how to train to be better prepared for the next one. And also like once you're signed up for a race, then you have an actual goal and actual timeline. So I feel like right now that's that's like a little bit of a different advice just because races are so limited. And I feel like right now it's a good time to like not worry about results and just figure out what you like doing and what you love training for when there's no events in sight. But then once that comes back, do one sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I think that's great advice too, to just get started because I feel like a lot of people who, you know, see racing and, you know, see the ability that people that are doing it have, I think it's easy to get in your mind and be like, well, I have to do this, this, and this to prepare. And, you know, in reality, your body's not going to be a hundred percent prepared. So I think that's really good advice. And I think, you know, it really goes to show the importance of just showing up. Yeah. And when you do a race, when you're not quite ready for it and you do not so well, then the potential to improve is so large and it feels so good when you do it again and you do it better. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Rhea, for, you know, coming on and talking more about your background and, you know, specifically the Eco Challenge, as well as, you know, how you've seen female representation in your discipline, because I think that's really important. Yeah. And yeah. I just wanted to say, you know, a big thank you to you and a big thank you for, you know, being out there and representing us females, because, you are such a badass and you inspire me so much. So thank you. Thank you. It was fun chatting. Thank you for having me on. 